Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. Every day we are tempted to sin, but there comes a time when we say enough is enough. Our new series, Not Today Satan, is all about putting sin in its rightful place. Today, guest speaker and friend of Kenosha City Church, Ben Segabart, will ask us the question, who's your enemy? Enjoy the message. My name is Ben, and I'm a pastor from Iowa, Indianola, Iowa, just south of Des Moines. I'm a married man. We've got four kids, and um, we are grateful to be just kind of a, a part of Kenosha City Church. We get to come up here quite a bit. I've been friends with Pastor Andy ever since I w- really, I was in high school. He just graduated. Um, we knew each other a little bit in high school, but um, that's been a couple of years now. I'm, a, I'm 40 years old. I turned 40 this year, and um, it's just fun to watch and go through life together. And, um, and so now, as both of us are in churches and pastoring churches, it's kind of fun to be able to uh, continue to just stay connected. And this is kind of a part of me being here is like a part of being family, really, because uh, you guys, this church means so much to Pastor Andy. And what we're going to do today as we jump into this series, Not Today, Satan, we're going to start to answer a little bit of the question, who is your enemy? And uh, we're going to answer that question, but we're going to start and maybe a little bit different of a place, we're going to start considering the posture of the believer. Because sometimes we think when we're about to get in a fight, our heart rate starts to increase, doesn't it? You ever been in a fight? Like an actual fist fight? You're like, no, I'm on the way to church this morning. Like, no, no. <clears throat> when you go into a fight, your senses are heightened, aren't they? Your heart starts to race. You start to almost sweat a little bit. You get a little nervous, you're a little jumpy. Maybe you've got some anger in you and you're starting to get twitchy and you get that face, you know, that look in your eyes. And sometimes when we address and start to get into this fight with our enemy, the devil, we start to react in similar ways. Because it's like, I've been in a fight before and I know what this is like, and we start to react in those similar ways. We're going to find out this morning as we jump into the text that this is not the posture of the believer as we enter into um, God's way of dealing with this enemy. I'd encourage you to jump into 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. And I'm just going to read a few verses for us. We're going to be in verses 5. I'm going to read through the text, and then we'll kind of go back, and we'll just kind of pick this off one little piece at a time. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 11. I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard Bible this morning, the NASB. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all of your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are around the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Point one is this. Put on humility. 
from verse 5? And put down anxiety. Put on humility. Everybody say that with me. Ready? Put on humility. Put on humility. This is an interesting posture when you're getting ready to fight, isn't it? Put on humility. The text literally says to clothe yourself with humility. You know, in America, we have this um, kind of terrible uh, disposition where we like to judge other people on what they've put on, don't we? We look at other people and we look at the way that they dress and we make judgment calls. And some of you are like, oh man, I don't care what other people wear, I don't pay attention to that. But I would say that there are times for sure that you notice what other people put on. And we, we make a judgment call, a determination on that person based on what they're wearing. We think, well, they thought that they wanted to leave the house in that. This is how they wanted to present themselves in the world. And obviously your financial uh, you know, situation will bear some, some uh, variation to what it is that you're going to put on and what you're going to wear. But all of us this morning, when we got up, before we got to church, put something on, right? There's no one who's naked in the sanctuary here this morning. If you're online, I'm telling you, there's no one here naked this morning. We've all put something on. Peter wants to remind us, the first thing that we ought to put on is humility. You know, I should have given you a little bit of context to 1 Peter because Peter, this is the same Peter who walked on water. This is the same Peter who constantly put his foot in his mouth, you know. This is the same Peter that, uh, that when Jesus was being approached in Gethsemane and uh, people were coming to, to grab Jesus and arrest him, that he pulled a sword out and started swinging it. This Peter later on in life after Jesus had died and resurrected from death and ascended to the Father... This Peter, his life was changed, and he wrote this book, 1 Peter, and he's writing it to the church who's just getting ready to bear down on some serious persecution. I've talked with many people who would say, you know, they feel like we're on kind of the verge of a, a new era of persecution here in America, and that may or may not be true, but the reality is when Peter wrote this epistle, this letter, he was writing to a people group that he was sure would endure fierce persecution because he had endured persecution. He had been beaten, threatened, punished, and jailed for preaching the word of God, as we see all throughout Acts. And so when he looks at this people who are about to be persecuted by their, by their surrounding uh, empire, he says, guys, here's the deal. There's a fight coming. And I want you to put on humility. I want you to clothe yourself in it. You know, all of us, I would venture to say, have some type of a closet or some type of a dresser with some clothes in it. And you think, I've got this, this, my favorite hooded sweatshirt or my favorite jeans that I love to wear. For the Christian, humility is your favorite. Humility is what you put on every day. Humility is what you walk around in the world with. And we'd say, well, Ben, I don't know if I do that so well. I don't know if I actually clothe myself in humility the way that the scripture would encourage me to do that. And I would say, you're missing the first element of the fight. The Christian inside of the culture is not to puff themselves up to show how strong we are. The Christian, when engaging the fight, is to enter with humility, clothed in it like our favorite sweatshirt we put it on 
In a prideful, boastful, arrogant world, Christians put on humility. In a world that tends to publicize that they know it all, Christians readily admit we don't know it all. (laughs) There may be somebody in the room who's uh, maybe not a Christian or hasn't been walking with Christ, and you're like, dude, I know some Christians, and you are not describing them right now. We're looking at 1 Peter chapter 5. We're looking at what the Lord in his perfect will and in his perfect word has described. For us as believers, living in the world, we are humble. We don't know it all, but there is one thing that we do know. Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? He is our master and he's the one that we follow. This isn't an act of mustering some spiritual muscle. By the way, humility is not a, a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Humility allows us to present the fruit of the Spirit in the way it is supposed to be received. Because we don't come at people in a fight stance to battle them with Love and joy and peace and patience. It's like, I'm being patient. We come humbly. And we show them our patience. We show them what peace looks like. What kindness is. As the Holy Spirit brings that forward into our lives. The spiritual mature man or woman is humble. They leave room in their lives to learn. They have someone in their life that they trust that is ahead of them in the Christian life and they humbly submit themselves to follow and to learn, to remain, to remain pliable. They don't believe that they are always the smartest person in the room. You ever been in that room with that person? It's like, oh man, they're the smartest person in the room. Just ask them, they'll tell you. They're like, I work with that guy or that girl. That's not the Christian, friends. That's not us. We present ourselves with humility. We put it on. Verse 5 says, For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Verse 6 says, We put on humility towards others, and we put on humility when it comes to facing God himself. Because God is opposed to the proud. I I love how God postures himself towards us with this great love. He says, you want to puff yourself up to me? (laughs) Sovereign God, creator of heavens and the earth, the one who holds the world in his hands. He says, man, you can't do that. Humble yourself before me. I am opposed to the proud, says the Lord. I would ask you this question. Do you ever feel like everything is against you? You ever have those days you're talking about a battle. It's like, man, you wake up, you try to, you go to find your favorite shirt for work, it's dirty. You're like, oh, man. You go to try to find your shoes, the dog chewed it, right? You, 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 you're like, ah, oh, you're, you're late. You're running around. There's no hot water. You're like, what is up with that? Oh, I've got a family of six, you know? It's like, you try to get on the road and you're on your way to work and there's construction because there's no construction in Kenosha, is there? Nowhere. It's like everywhere. I almost got hit head on by somebody and I was on the right road. It's like, what is going on? It's one of those days, man. Everything's against me. You get into your boss and 
They're like, hey, I got some bad news. You're like, sweet. We've all had those days. Kind of challenge you with this thought. Think there's any chance that we're just so proud? We're demanding the world come into line with us? That, hey, man, I know how this day is supposed to go. Just ask me, I'll tell you. And I want it to just line up the way that it ought to line up. I want to be in control and nobody's really listening to me. And I don't get it because I'm the boss. God says, man, I'm I'm opposed to that. I'm opposed to the proud. I give grace to the humble. I would encourage you, don't lose your patience with God. He's God. We're not. When the day's flying apart and it's like, ah, it's really our pride that is pricked, isn't it? That nothing is going our way. But God is still sovereign in control, right? He still has the world in his hand. He's, he's got it. It's okay. And that's when we remember it's time to clothe myself again with humility, to remember my position before him, to let my cares and concerns down to him and trust him with that. Don't lose patience with God. Don't doubt his ability. He can do it. And what the text tells us is, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that's declaring his strength and authority over whatever it is that is pushing against us, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Friends, this is kind of part of the confidence of the believer. When God exalts you, no one can stop you. God says, humble yourself. Humble yourself towards others. Humble yourself before me. And you know what? At the proper time, God, I want it right now. He says, at the proper time, I will exalt you. At the proper time, I will lift you up. At the proper time, all of a sudden, someone will take notice of you and the way you're living your life and the God that you serve and the way that you raise your kids and the way that you treat your coworkers. At the proper time, God will exalt you. When you if you want it in your time frame, I'm just here to tell you, it is not gonna happen. God would say, humble yourself. At the proper time, I will exalt you and lift you up. And isn't it just true for those of us who understand the scripture pretty well? We look back through the Old Testament. We see this time and time again. God's power is limitless. His ability is limitless. But if we are so limited and God places people in positions of authority, but he moves them around in ways that we would never, ever ask for. I look back through the Old Testament and just a few quick people. You think of Joseph. This man, Joseph, whose very own family sold him into slavery. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember Joseph. But for those of us who aren't familiar, can you imagine that? Your family sells you. You're gone. It's like, do you think that he he was like, God, you're so awesome? (laughs) When he's in a prison, you know, later on in his life, he was wrongly accused and imprisoned. And he was like, oh yeah, this is, this is awesome. It required an amount of humility to, to, to believe that this God that I serve is really truly in control and I'll, I'll wait. I'll just wait. And at the proper time, God exalted Joseph, didn't he? He was second in authority over the entire kingdom. Esther, an orphaned refugee, God, you can't be in control. Her family is evidently dead. 
She's an orphaned refugee. She is away from her homeland. And this God and his great love for this girl, remaining humble and quiet, and you read through it, and every, every time that someone in authority in her life told her what to do, she just humbly did it. Culturally, I know that's not very cool or whatever now, but that's what God says, and that's what she did. And at the proper time, you know what? Esther was exalted. She became queen of the largest empire in the, in the world at the time. Friends, God will exalt us. He will lift us up. Will we be kings and queens here in America? Probably not. But will we be kings and queens? Yeah. Has he said that it'll be true? Has he said that I will call you up and you will reign on a throne beside me? Yeah. He says at the proper time, you want it now, don't you? The Lord would say, at the proper time, I'll, I'll, I'll raise you up. Friends, I would encourage us today, part of the word that I have for you today is this, remain humble. Remain humble. You know, I was thinking about it as a parent and as a husband. I've never had four kids this age before, right? I've never been married 18 years before. We're all in a place in life, every single one of us, we're in a place in life that we've never been before. And it's like we act and posture like we know exactly what we're doing and we've got it all figured out. And when we don't know and we realize that we really don't have it all figured out, this anxiety creeps in, doesn't it? And this, this fear and this trembling. And then we puff up like it's a fight and I gotta fight and I, and I, gotta, I gotta posture myself right. It's like, this is the first day on the job for all of us for today. <laughs> Never lived this day before. Friends, we can sometimes take ourselves too seriously, take our positions too seriously. And I would encourage us this morning, we'll put on humility. But the second part of the point is this, put down anxiety. Put down anxiety. Verse 7 says, casting all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Anxiety, for some of us who aren't familiar or like definitions, if you're taking notes this morning, you can write this. It is a distress or uneasiness of mind caused by fear of danger or misfortune. misfortune. It's distress or uneasiness. It's almost ridiculous for me to define anxiety in America this morning because so many people deal with it. So many people know exactly what it is. They're like, dude, you don't need to give me a definition. I live this every single day. It's really amazing how I feel like I'm becoming more and more of a Bible nerd. Like, this is not a, a proud thing for me, but it's like I, I have questions all the time, and I'm looking for answers, and by God's grace, I've started just looking more and more into his word. When you look at this verse, verse 7, I like to use Bible Hub a lot, BibleHub.com. It's a free resource, and you can look at the Greek in there, and I'm not a Greek scholar by any means, and I'm definitely not an English major, but I want to read to you exactly how it appears in the Greek in a broken English. This, this verse here, verse 7 says in, in our regular translations, casting all your anxiety on him, throwing it down, so you're, you're, you're putting on humility and you're putting down anxiety. You're throwing it on the Lord. Listen to how it appears in the original Greek. All of the anxiety of you, 
all of the anxiety of you, having cast upon him, because with him there is care about you. All of the anxiety of you, all those things that stir inside of you, the things that weigh you down, the things that cause you to not want to even face the world in the morning, that you'd rather just stay in bed, the thing that keeps you from clothing yourself with anything, man, I don't even want to go out. All of the anxiety of you, having cast upon him. Friends, have you cast it upon him? All of the anxiety of you. I understand there's some medical things that go on. I get that. But I'd say that we as Americans could do a better job, all the anxiety of us, having cast it upon him. Because with him, there is care about you. <laughs> some of us has this, have this terrible view of God. This angry father on the throne, waiting to judge and condemn the people that he made. Upset with the way that they live their lives. Anxious for judgment of them. Scripture says that he is patient with us, not wanting any of us to die without him. He says, cast your cares on me. I care for you. So many concerns, so many worries. When we humbly recognize our limitations, we better position ourselves to be rid of our anxiety. There's a correlation here between humility and anxiety. You know that? When you think that you have to control all the, the things, the anxiety of you increases. And when you re realize that there is a God in heaven, he is a great God, he is a loving father. Like I said earlier, he's got the whole world in his hand. He's not afraid and he's not nervous. He's not anxious about tomorrow at all. And he knows you by name. And he's called you to himself. When we humbly position ourselves with this God underneath his sovereign rule, all of the anxiety of us, having cast it on him, melts away. Because with him, there is care about you. Man, I love it. Put on humility. Put down anxiety. I just wrote this out. I'm just going to write or read this to you. It says, you may cast your cares on him because he is strong. You will not burden him when you cast your small cares on him. The most crushing of weights to us is but a speck of burden to him. Cast your cares quickly, friend. You need not sit under them any longer, and it is no trouble for him. He cares for you. You place not your burdens on a stranger as if to weigh someone else down unfairly. You place your burdens on an all-powerful divine. He knows you. He has granted it. Indeed, he has invited it. He's granted it because he is more than capable of handling it, and he cares for you. He sees you struggling under the crushing weight, and in love and grace and mercy, he is calling you to cast it on him. Humility is the antidote to worry. In a world full of pride and worry, the posture of the believer is one of humility and free from unnecessary burden. First thing is this, put... Put on humility, put down anxiety. Next is this as we move through the text. You have an enemy. You're like, finally, I thought we were gonna talk about the devil today. You do have an enemy. And what's different is that in America, I really believe, and I talked with a few people about this, I, I said, do you live your life like you have an enemy? And they kind of look at me really puzzled, like, that's a, uh, 
well, I got some people who don't like me. I'm like, okay, is that an enemy? Well, I wouldn't really call them an enemy, just kind of, you know, people that don't like me. Here's the truth this morning from the, from the text. You have an enemy. Verse 8 says, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, your enemy, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Be of sober spirit. So now it's telling us the kind of position to have. And I know a lot of us hear that word sober, and we think that that means we shouldn't be drunk or we shouldn't be high or something like that. And that's, that's true. But it means so much more than that. It means don't have a clouded mind. Don't be in this strange frenzy. Don't live your life that way. Be, be sober. Be centered. Be clear-minded. Have some focus. Have a little direction. It says, be of sober spirit. When you meet someone who doesn't have a sober spirit, you know it because they're, they're really worked up and they're really kind of anxious and they're, they're pacing usually. And again, we're, we're looking at the context of how to have a fight. And you see people when they're getting ready to be in a fight and they're, they're pacing, aren't they? And they're not a sober spirit and they're just kind of, man, they're all worked up. They're all hot and bothered. It says be of sober spirit, but be on the alert. Be on the alert. This is senses aware. Head up, shoulders back, right? Stand straight, sober-minded, be on alert. You have an enemy. You have an enemy. Many of us live these lives believing that we don't but we do, and, and, and here's the reality. Your enemy is not far away in another country. Your enemy is near. Your enemy, you're not protected by natural or national borders. Your enemy is very, very close. Your enemy has a legion of followers that do his bidding at his command you, you have an enemy that's so close that it would literally, I would quite honestly tell you, your enemy is in the room. Your enemy is in the room, friends. And it's like we, we, we live these lives like, well, there's a couple people who don't like me, but I'm here to tell you there is an entire battle going on biblically. And we're Christians and we believe the Bible and we trust it. We say, why, why, why do I have to be in this fight? I don't want to be in a fight. I'm not the fighting kind. Why does Satan hate me? Why does he want to attack me? Why is he prowling around me? Why does he lie in the shadows? Why does he have others do his bidding against me? Why, why is this argument, what, what's with this fight? I want out. The child of God is, does not get out of the battle we're in. Satan hates us because he is anti-glory of God. And as humans, we bear God's image. We are his image bearers. We are made imago Dei. And in the image of God, we walk around looking like God. We bear his image and the angels do not. And Satan doesn't like God. We're in. And he's an adversary to us. He is set against us. This is a legal term. It says he has set himself against us. If there was a court case going on, he would be the other side making the accusation against us. He brings lawsuit blatantly against those who follow God. This is our adversary. This is the enemy. This is the devil. And he prowls around. He prowls. I was at Andy and Allison's house, you know, and they have a cat. You guys know that? You, and you're like, oh, man, 
That pastor just went down in my book. He's got a cat? You get your dog people and your cat people, right? Like, Pastor Andy, until you get a dog, I, I don't know if we can be friends, you know? He's got a cat. And you know what the cat does like every other cat? It prowls. And if the kids would leave the cat alone for just three seconds, you know, that, that cat has been carried this entire weekend. But if you leave it alone for three seconds, it'll start to, it'll start to prowl. You know what's happening when a cat is prowling, right? It's stalking. It's hunting. Our adversary, the devil, isn't as cute as a small little house cat. He's described as a lion. You know, a lion is the king of the jungle for a reason. It's big. It's terrible. It's fierce. I was talking with someone, and, and uh, they said that, you know, a lot of the times the lion, the male lion, doesn't do a lot of the hunting, but the female lions do. And they work together, and they surround their prey, keeping it distracted from multiple angles so the prey doesn't really know where the attack's going to come from. And then it hits. And then the, then the male lion just kind of makes his way up, scaring off because of his size, the female lions, and he just will take the prey for himself not even having had done the work. We have an enemy. We clothe ourselves with humility. We lay down anxiety. We're not worried about it, but we know the facts. Sober-minded, we walk this life, head up, shoulders back, facing it head on, being on alert, knowing that there is an enemy out there and he is fierce and he is strong and he is hunting. He is seeking someone to devour. <laughs> to be devoured is not to be slightly afflicted, right? You're like, I have these slight afflictions. Well, what's going on? I've been devoured. Being devoured means you are totally overtaken. His desire is not to scare you away or to teach you some lesson by merely harming you. His desire is to devour you, to overcome you and to eat you. You say, man, my life is just tough. It's hard. And, and I would say, well, how much joy and peace do you have in your life when you're devoured? Not much. That's what Satan is seeking to do. But the good news is we don't belong to him. We don't belong to him. He is ready. Are you? I think about what, what it means. We could never win against a lion. Kind of the miracle of Daniel in the lion's den is that Daniel won, right? It's like, you put this guy in a den of lions and he lived? There, that makes no sense because a man cannot overcome a lion. So when Peter writes to a persecuted church that, hey, by the way, there is an adversary out there and he is prowling around seeking to devour you, you would think this is really, really bad news because a human has no hope against a lion. But we win. And we can win. And we can win when we carry out what the text says. You resist by faith. By faith. I want you guys to repeat this after me. Resist by faith. Ready? Resist by faith. How do we do it? By faith. We resist by faith. You're going to say, man, this does not sound like an awesome tactic, but I'm here to tell you, 
Verse nine, you resist firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are around the world. This is what Peter tells this church. He's like, hey, dude, here's the deal. You're gonna shed blood. You're gonna get beaten. You're gonna get tortured and tormented because you have an enemy and it's gonna get hard. But you're gonna resist. And you're gonna resist by faith. You're not going to ever doubt your sovereign Lord. You've placed your faith and trust in him. To resist is to stand against. The Christian has their face set in a course of action to be fierce against this deadly foe. A way to resist the devil is to stand on God's word by faith. If you like to try to memorize scripture and you're like, oh, I'm terrible at it, I would encourage you to memorize this verse this week. You could take any of the ones we've walked through, but write down Romans 10, 17. This has become one of my favorite verses. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. You say, Pastor Ben, I don't have a lot of faith, man. And you're talking about these things, and it's hard. And I don't want to believe that there's a battle going on. I don't want to believe that I'm a part of it. I don't want to deal with any of it. I just want to stand on the side. And I would say this, to increase your faith, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Faith doesn't float, faith rests. You know that, right? Faith doesn't mean that I just put my mind in, in this like abstract reality that I'm just hoping becomes true and in the long run, I'll, I'll make it. Faith means that I am setting my confidence and my assurance on something. We have faith that this book is true. It's not a little true, it's not mostly true, it is true. It's all true. And I put my faith in it. I believe it and I stand on it. I rest on it. My question for you is this. What does your faith rest on? Is it a mere speculation, a, a maybe? Apostle John says, I write these things so that you may know, that you may know our faith rests in the scripture. You know, when Jesus was uh, approached by Satan, to be tempted in Matthew uh, chapter 4, right around in there, Matthew chapter 4, 5. Over and over, Satan approaches him, and Jesus says, it is written, it is written, it is written. When you go through that, you just look at how did Jesus turn back the enemy? <laughs> he was in the battle. Jesus. Jesus didn't flex. He didn't, like, stare him down with Superman laser beams, like, hey, I'm Jesus. I get to do what I want. I can just burn him up, like. Jesus didn't do any of that. How did Jesus resist? By faith. He says, you know what, man? It is written. It is written. It is written. Three times he says the exact same thing. He starts it out. And you know what the devil did? Fled. He fled. Friends, we are in a battle, but I want us to resist by faith. We don't have to do everything just right all the time. Pastor Ben, I don't do everything right all the time. I don't have the greatest faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Do you know his word? Do you believe it? Have you stood on it firm, casting everything else aside and say, Lord God, this is all that I have, and if I don't have this, I don't have anything, but I believe you. What does our faith rest on? Our faith is this, that we were born into sin by nature and choice, human sin. Sin has consequences. A separation from God has happened. If I don't want God now, I won't be with him forever in heaven. Hear that? 
well, I don't really know about God. I don't really care about God. If you don't want him now, you don't get to be with him forever in heaven. God hates sin more than I do. You say, people do wrong things against me, and I'm mad about it, and it's called justice, and I know all about it. God hates sin more than you do. Do you believe that? And God has more grace than I do. God has more grace than I do. Well, if I was in charge, this is how it would go down. And God says, I'm the one in charge. I will carry it out. God loves sinners, and he will punish sin. The wages of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? Man, this is the gospel. This is good news. This is the truth. This is what we stand on, that Jesus died for sin. The bad things have been paid for. God's word tells us to repent and believe and to move forward with him forever. Friends, it is an awesome message when we realize what it is that God has done for us, what it is that he has caused us to proclaim to the nations, what it is that he gives us as a confidence, sure and steadfast for our souls. When anxiety overwhelms us, all the anxiety of us, we can give to him because with him there is love for us. Oh, what a beautiful savior we have. Satan is a liar. And he will try to get me to disbelieve the truth that I'm united with Christ, that it is settled, that I don't wonder if I'm a Christian. I don't wonder if I've been forgiven. I know that God loves me. I know just like I had a time in history where I walked the aisle with my wife. I don't doubt later on. I wonder if I'm married. We're united. It's done. Past act completed with future tense ramification. I am a married man. We're united with Christ. If you've given your life to Christ, you're his. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to question it. Our enemy, the devil, prowls around, seeking whom he will devour, and he will do whatever he can to cast doubt into your life. Satan is a liar, but we resist him by faith. Not because we're just like really, really strong, but because we have a word that has been spoken, and that's it. That's it. Do not be caught off guard. Do not be surprised by his constant attack. Do not be surprised by his crouching in the grass and his readiness to pounce. He certainly will attempt to lure you into a place of vulnerability. We most definitely are vulnerable. We must be aware. We must be alert. We resist him. If you think it's no big deal, when you sense the presence of this enemy, it's too late. You will be devoured. Friend, your fall will not be small. And with great consequences, we find ourselves prey, overwhelmed and overcome. If we do not have a Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we trust in. Resist him firm in the faith, solid. Properly, it means solid. The last thing is this. From suffering to strength. From suffering to strength. Verse 10. After you have suffered for a little while, Peter says to this persecuted church, the God of all grace. How much grace is that? All of it. If you've ever experienced grace, it's from God. If you've suffered, after you've suffered for a little while, in the middle of your suffering that you've been going through, the, the, the expectation is, Peter says, I know that you're already suffering. 
And after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who to his eternal who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen and establish you. If you're really looking at this text and you're really trying to take it in, then you probably have this question. How long's a little while? <laughs> after I suffered for a little while, is that like, you know, another month? You know, just a couple days? Say Till my last dying breath? I mean, how, how long is this, God? Because with you, you know, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. It's like, how, how long is a little while? <laughs> well, God doesn't disclose that to us. He doesn't tell us the length of our suffering. He just tells us it'll be a little while. I love, um, there's a pastor and just commentator, John MacArthur. He writes this, and some people like him, don't like him, but listen to this, phrase, this, this sentence. While the believer is being personally attacked by the enemy, the believer is being personally perfected by the Lord. There's not just an enemy stalking you, you know that? The enemy isn't the only one in the room. We know that. We're being personally perfected by the Lord. He's right here. He says in verse 10, 10 he will himself perfect. He's not like, hey, <laughs> figure it out for a little while. He's like, no, 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 I'll be right here with you. I will be helping you perfect it. I will be the one in you, carrying you through it to confirm and strengthen and establish you. I want you guys to think about what this means that you're stronger now, having gone through some things. We've learned some things, haven't we? Some of you have gone through some stuff and you're like, Ben, I've suffered. I know what that's like. And I'm like, good, good. You've been perfected. You've walked through it. You're still here, aren't you? You're still here. He says, God, after you've suffered for a little while, have you made it through it? You're like, yeah, there's been some things in my past. Pastor Ben, I made it. I'd say he's been with you, hasn't he? You say, oh man, yeah, he's been with me for sure. You say, Ben, I'm, I'm looking down the barrel of a storm. I, I just know it's coming and I know it's gonna be hard. I don't think I can make it. And it's, it's dark, man, it's dark. And I would say, he's, he's with you. He's with you, man. He, he's with you. Is that enough, friends? Is it enough that our God is with us? Is it enough that he says, hey, I know you're going to suffer for a little while, but I will be with you and perfect you. Genesis 50, verse 20 says, uh, there's this guy, he just went through all this stuff. Joseph, after his friends and his family had sold him and becomes second in command of the whole empire. And then there's his brothers and God had just lined it all up. They were all right there before him. He sends everybody out of the room except for his family. And he comes in and he says, hey man, you guys meant evil against me. You're doing wrong against me. But God meant it for good. You see what he did there? He turned it around. God was at work. He didn't say, hey man, it was easy in that pit. Like, he just said, God meant it for good. You had an evil plan, but God meant it for good. You were carrying out the schemes. 
You were the one prowling. And it was hard, man, and it hurt. But I'll tell you what, God meant it for good. Friends, as we conclude this morning and the worship team comes up and I'm going to pray. And I know Pastor Andy will have some uh, just worship kind of announcement for us. I'm going to ask that God would continue his good work in us. And for some of us, I'm going to ask that you place your faith and trust in Christ. For some of us that are in the middle of the storm, we're going to pray about it. We're not going to pray because like, oh yeah, you're a pastor, right? Like we're at church and so we just pray at the end. It's not that. We pray because we need him. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We love you because we got a lot of anxiety in us. But you ask us to cast all that on you because with you there is much love for us. God, we love your truth. We're not just making an emotional plea, but it becomes emotional when we find out how real it is that you really love us, that we really have an enemy, there's really a battle going on and you'd really be present with us. And for all that, God, we're really grateful. We put on humility because we are not in control and we don't have it all figured out. So we, we're humble, but we stand tall because we know you. You've given us confidence, Lord. You've given us a new direction for our lives. You've given us a hope that can't be pulled from us no matter what. Lord Jesus, if there's someone in this room today who has not placed all their faith in you, to just put their faith in you and say, I don't understand it all, but I trust God. And I know I haven't been living right. I understand I'm a sinner. But I want this God to direct me. And I want the love and I want the forgiveness because I know I've done it wrong. And I want direction in my life and I want purpose. Not because I want to be great, but because I, would, I just want to know him. Friends, if there is someone in the room right now that wants to put their faith and trust in Christ, would you just do that right now in the best way you know how? You pray, I am a sinner. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I understand I've been going my own way. And I know that Jesus Christ shed his blood as a perfect sacrifice so that I don't have to be perfect. I put my faith and trust in Jesus today, the one in whom I love. And it is in Jesus' strong name we pray and praise today. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.